is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Worst Year Ever. We'll get through it together or not. Everything is so dumb, 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 Hell yeah. That's right. That's right. I just bawled right into introducing the show. Didn't even tell my co-hosts. Motherfucking... Yeah. It's All happening. Right. Someone else I'm take calling over. this toxic masculinity. And my you. name's Katie Stoll. And this you is didn't the worst have to year compliment ever. me that way, Katie, but I appreciate it. It's just, you know, we all needed to, to, to take our compliments where we can get them. Mm-hmm. I praise I, you for your toxicity. <laughs> I, I Well, I assume that from the band, or from the name, from the phrase toxic masculinity, you were saying that I was masculine in the same way as 1980s thrash metal band Toxic with with a K. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. You know mm-hmm. me so well, Robert. Her, her poison femininity was complimenting mm-hmm. you. Today, we have uh, a guest with us. Uh, we just finished recording an interview with Steve Vladek. Uh, he is a law professor, constitutional lawyer, CNN contributor, amongst podcaster amongst other things and and he was gracious enough to sit down and chat with us for an hour all about things that he knows more than we do <laughs> the law mostly mostly the, the law. law yeah mostly the law, the law which none of us understand but he does well, laws are fake so yeah um well, hard, hard, hard glad you brought that up before we brought him on <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Just slipping that in there. I will not be bringing it up to him. Just undermine the guest immediately. By the way, Steve, you know laws are fake, right? (laughs) What I love is these boys are on their best behavior while we're interviewing. We're very And then the second a guest gets off, they're back to their antics. Just letting loose a little bit. Well, it's 
we we're recording this intro and the conclusion after the interview that we just did. Um, what I really respect about him and and about what he is his like willingness to engage deeply and try to understand and improve the system. Even though I hate the system and the law yeah. and don't understand it and think it's made up. Everything kind of is made up, right? Oh, yeah. Except for like some very basic facts of like your heart needs to pump blood. Yeah, our bones, like every, our everything bones else, bones, yeah. bones are more yeah. or less real. Yeah, bones Although, are basically real. I know somebody whose jawbone used to be his thigh bone, so even bones Yeesh. are kind of mouth. Oh yeah, there's some wiggle room there for yeah, sure. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah, wiggle yeah. room. So when I like everything's fake, I guess, except for it's not. Um, and that's kind of what he's pointing out is that like this system as confusing and frustrating and silly and like infuriating it is, as it is and as often as i want to burn it down mm-hmm. understanding how to engage with it and change it um it's has material important. benefits for people's lives that are very yeah. real um so yeah. i respect him a lot even though um i'm going to go punch a bunch of drywall right now because <laughs> i thought about the law too much mm-hmm. no don't do, don't do that uh and so with that here is this Today, we are very grateful to be joined by law professor and CNN contributor Steve Vladek uh, to, you know, break down, answer questions, discuss impeachment, probably some other things, too, I would imagine. Uh, hi, Steve. How's it Hello going? Guys. Um, <laughs> Hello, guys. You know, in the, in the context of month 11 of the pandemic, uh, oh. it, it's going great. Can you even Man, believe? the time really has flown this pandemic. It really uh, so I actually, as we're recording this today, today is actually the first day I was in the classroom um, since March wow. last year. So um, it's, a, it's a little bit surreal sort of things coming full circle for me. How, oh, how was that? How did that experience go? Also, can you tell us where you, where you teach? Yeah, so I'm at the University of Texas in Austin, Hookham, um, and I teach at the law school. Um, and, you know, we're in this weird hybrid mode where basically for the larger classes, like my upper level federal courts elective, um, students can choose whether they want to be in person mm. or online. Um, you know, it's, it's their call 100% based on their circumstances. But for the ones who want to be in person, you know, if the professor is willing, and I am, um, you know, we have socially distanced classrooms and simultaneous live casting over Zoom. So it's wow. sort of a weird, like, half the audience is in the room and half the audience is at home situation. Uh, that sounds broadly that. reasonable. Yeah, that sounds very reasonable. Also, it sounds like since this is the first time you've been back in the classroom, uh, these procedures, the university took some time to implement this and gauge everything. And I think I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I say that some of my colleagues on the faculty have relatively different degrees of facility with the technological skill. Yeah. And so it may well be that I'm in the I'm in the sort of. Um, I'm outside the standard deviations of of ability to sort of do this simultaneously on multiple platforms. But yeah, if it works, when this me, all, I'll, I'll just go with it. Uh, when this well, all started and everyone transitioned overnight to doing all of their classes remotely, I kept thinking about like the nine different teachers I had throughout my school career. That you remember those like those overhead projectors that literally it was just a, a light box that you put yeah, a plastic yeah. sheet over. Yep. I, I remembered how many of my co- my teachers couldn't work those, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, this, "This is going to be a problem." <laughs> and it has proven to be. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, to be fair. Absolutely no section of society has handled this well. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I think that that is fair. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Except, I think I've except, done okay. Except, except Peloton. Peloton has handled this. Peloton's well. Peloton, 
mm-hmm. has boomed. And look, right now, I'm guilty. I got yeah. one. I got the Peloton. I jumped on the bandwagon. You know, Never distilleries also nailing it, both in terms of dealing with our increased alcohol consumption and in terms of manufacturing hand sanitizer. Distilleries and Peloton. <laughs> and yeah. Peloton. Firing yeah. on all cylinders. <laughs> I'm looking the forward to America. the <laughs> distillery Peloton collab. They do a lot of collabs. That's an inside mm-hmm. joke for people that uh, ride a Peloton. Anyway. Well, you- <laughs> oh. I was going to say, when I was young, one of my favorite hobbies to do was to do drunken bike rides with like 200 so other go. people. And yeah, it's you could same. do it in a Peloton. It's the same. It would be a lot sadder. It would be very sad. Actually. I'm probably <laughs> revealing way too much about myself, but there have been times when I've taken a classic rock ride and brought a joint in there with me. Hell when yeah. When it was getting to the good part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh Anyway, so, so, we're here. So, so, so Katie has a different approach to power zones than the rest yeah. of us. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> my, my PR means something very different for everyone else. Um, Flower but, power zone. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to doing that maybe later today. But right now, we're here to talk about a lot of things, like I mentioned. But let's start with impeachment. Uh, have you been watching? No, you were teaching today, so you haven't probably have not been watching. Gotten some highlights. Gotten some highlights uh, for anybody. I'm sure everybody listening knows uh, today, Tuesday, uh, is the beginning of Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. Uh, well, specifically, I guess today uh, is the day where the Senate officially votes on whether or not it's even constitutional to, to impeach him, impeach a former president. Um, so let's start there. See, <laughs> you think yeah, it's constitutional? What, to well, let's get a, a little former- bit back here. What yeah, yeah, is yeah. the Constitution? Sure. Yeah. Let's start yeah. at the beginning. <laughs> yes. This is this is the metaphysical question with which all law school classes should start. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I actually think yeah. we should start with a slightly different question, which yeah. is why does any of why does any of this constitutional stuff matter? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and and in this context, I think the reason why that's especially important is because of a very nerdy but very important constraint on these proceedings, which is that they're not generally going to be subject to review by the courts. Uh, and so usually when we're fighting about what the Constitution means, we accept, for better or for worse, that if it's really a serious dispute, it's going to end up in the courts and the courts are going to get it right or wrong, often wrong. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the last word is going to be the courts. And here's one of those rare constitutional questions where the courts don't have the last word, um, where, you know, the courts have even said it would be weird if we were able to supervise a provision in the Constitution that's there to check us. Right. Because, you know, the dirty little secret about impeachment is that uh, an overwhelming majority of the impeachments in American history and all eight of the successful ones have been of judges. Um, so, oh. I think, so so part of why I get sort of, you know, head banging into wall about some of these constitutional arguments is because it actually doesn't matter if they're right, um, because the courts are never really going to have a say on this. All that matters is that, you know, these constitutional objections are providing um, off ramps for mm-hmm. Republican senators to say, you know, we don't want to condemn what Trump did because then we'll alienate the base, but we don't want to condone what Trump did because it was pretty freaking terrible. Is there some third option where we can actually get out of this without having to do either of those things? Along comes, you know, superficially plausible but actually incorrect constitutional arguments, and it's perfect. Um, and so, you know, the scholars almost uniformly think it's constitutional to have a trial of former officers. Um, The scholars almost uniformly think that it doesn't matter if the speech is protected by the First Amendment or not. Mm -hmm. But what the scholars think 
isn't going to matter because yeah. just up to the senators at this point. Yeah. So we have this document that we try to interpret like everything that our government is allowed to do like through the lens of, and we have a bunch of scholars like you whose job is to understand it. But when it comes down to deciding whether or not like it's legal under that to do something, it just kind of matters what a bunch of guys in Congress think. So, I mean, not usually, right? I mean, okay. usually, really, usually, you know, it matters what the courts think too. I mean, so- But, but in this case, sorry. But in this case, yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's because the alternative would give the courts the power to, you know, sort of override one of the really important checks and balances in the constitution on the courts. Um, and so there's actually, there's a 1993 yeah. Supreme Court decision in a case called Nixon, wrong Nixon, uh, Walter Nixon, Okay. versus the United States, um, where the court, where the Supreme Court explains why it's not appropriate for the courts to review impeachments. And so a lot of folks turn around and say, well, therefore, whatever the senators think, you know, is fine. And what I want to say is, like, we should be comfortable with vocabulary yeah. where senators who adopt transparently pathetic constitutional arguments, you know, can and should be, you know, punished at the ballot box for doing so. Like, it actually ought to matter that it should. are hiding behind completely implausible reasons of the Constitution. You know, it says a lot about where we are that it won't. Uh, yeah, of course it doesn't. Yeah. No, it will not. <laughs> but, I mean, because it, it yeah. makes, what you're saying makes complete sense, right? Like, it wouldn't be right to give the courts total say in this kind of an instance, because they're not uh, generally elected, and that, that, would be, that would be problematic. But also, what we're doing is deeply problematic, because, like, you know, it... The reality doesn't matter, and whether or not these senators are acting in accordance with the Constitution doesn't matter, and none of the ones who vote against um, impeachment will ever be punished at the ballot box because, I don't know, the whole... Yeah, it's I, a mess. I, I, I it's not gonna, it's all, does, it just um, seems bleak. <laughs> does this, uh, will this affect the, uh, if this happens again, like this decision... Uh, it, or is it just sort of dependent on whoever's in the Senate at the time? Mm -hmm. Like, will yeah. it just, they'll just do this again in a different way. Yeah, I mean, Cody, Cody, I mean, precedent operates differently, right, in the political yeah. languages than it does in the right. Courts, right? So, so courts have this thing, this, this, this obnoxious Latin term, stare decisis, um, that stands for the proposition that all things being equal, courts should follow their precedents um, and not depart from them without good reason. Um, politically, you know, precedent's only as good as the politics of the moment. And so, sure. You know, so we're doomed. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, you know, I, guys, I am, I am unfortunately um, a hopeless optimist um, about a lot of things, um, which, which may put me in the wrong crowd for this particular enterprise. No, no, it's you know, good. We all we appreciate all. optimists. Very we're not healthy, optimists yes. here, I am but, also but, an optimist yeah. at my core. It's hard. These guys wear on me, but yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I, mean, I think, and, but, but I, I think it's worth stressing that, like, you know, there, there's a, there's a meme out there that because it's inevitable that enough Republicans are going to, you know, cop out and find some procedural grounds to, to vote to acquit, that this is all a waste. And I want to sort of be on record as saying, I don't think that's true. That like, mm -hmm. even if the Senate ultimately votes to acquit first, you know, if 10 or 11 Republican senators vote to convict, that's a big story, even mm -hmm. if it doesn't affect the bottom line. I mean, in the history of presidential impeachments, there's been exactly one cross-partisan vote to convict. And that was Mitt Romney last year. Um, right. If that number shoots up now, you know, that's a sign. But also, too, I mean, I just think it's important that, you know, we still don't have a complete picture of just how bad things were on January 6th and in the days yeah. leading up to it. We still don't have a complete picture of just what the federal government knew and when they knew it um, mm -hmm. and the slow walking of the response by the Depart Department of Defense on the 6th. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I think there ought to be 
we ought to be fixated on what happens in this trial, not because the result is actually somehow hanging in the balance. I don't think it is. Um, but because, you know, one of the things that trials are supposed to do is build historical narratives. And, you know, the, the reality is, yeah, I don't think any Republican's going to pay a price at the ballot box for voting to acquit Trump. But, you know, what if it comes out that there was coordination between the mm-hmm. campaign and Cruz and Hawley, for example? Or, you know, I mean, <laughs> for example, you know, yeah. hypothetically, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I just, I, I just think that, like, you know, there, there's value in these proceedings, even if the, the result is, is not something that's, that's, that, that we have any doubt about at this point. Yeah, because we have, I mean, just the sheer decency of we need to do something. We need to officially yeah. say, hold something, some sort of acknowledgement <laughs> that this happened. Because right now it feels for a lot of us like this was a, a little over a month ago, guys. Like, yeah. you know, and, and for me still just today, seeing the, the different videos shared of January 6th, uh, I've. I don't people make fun of the word triggering, but I have found it to be very much so. Uh, anyway, this needs to happen at least to acknowledge that this 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 thing happened a month and, ago. And, and if I may, and, and I think we also, you know, we have, I think, for a generation, I think this has been true on both sides of the aisle. We have, you know, surrendered um, constitutional high ground. To political expediency. And I think, you know, the Republicans have been more successful at it than the Democrats, but the Democrats mm-hmm. have done it too. Um, I think the, the result has been this sort of, you know, it is no longer true, even though it was for large swaths of American history, that constitutional arguments are actually significant parts of, you know, electoral campaigns, right? Like, you know, when, when was the last time anyone ran on, you know, if I'm elected, I'm going to make sure we take this approach to executive power, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me that we ought to, you know, we ought to be thinking about how that's happened and how, I mean, what the political scientists call it is the separation of parties replacing the separation of powers. Um, and I think that, like, there are any number of symptoms of that. Um, and this is one of them where, you know, people are just using constitutional arguments the way that drunks use lampposts for support, not for illumination, <laughs> opposed to actually standing on principle. I would love to have, you know, I would love to think through how we reclaim some of the ideas of like institutional constitutional arguments for their own sake, as opposed to just, you know, a means for my side to win and your side to lose. Yeah. I mean, so here's like the, the trouble is that I, I don't know the, I don't know that it's even possible to do that because the Constitution isn't something most people really see much value in as the actual document that it is. You know, it's it's whatever set of ideas they've come to, like uh, for a lot of the right, the Constitution yeah. is the Second Amendment, right? Um, you know, that that's the culture I grew up in. It's not um, a body of of like laws and restrictions on power when that power is something you want to exercise or want to have exercised in your name. And I guess like, that's the, I don't know how we, I don't know how we get away from that, but I do agree with you that like that going through impeachment, even if we know that the numbers aren't going to work out with Trump actually getting impeached is, is critical for building a historical record and for, um, for at least attempting for at least like, at least trying to hold to the idea that there ought to be consequences for this kind of behavior, even if you can't force them through to the extent that you should, um, yeah. I just don't know how optimistic I am about about this having an impact in the future, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I don't think it will overnight, right? But I think yeah. the, it's it's baby steps. I mean, it's it's a question of you know, um, I, mean, I, I think it's really important 
that Mitt Romney's dying on this hill, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, right. I think it's really important that he not be alone. I think it's really important that Liz Cheney, um, ha, ha, you know, whoever thought Liz Cheney would be in, uh, uh, I know. a player in the story. Um, because it seems to me that, like, one of two things happens. Either, you know, the party completely abandons them, in which case, you know, we're we're looking at the fracture of the Republican Party in ways that have enormous long-term consequences, um, right? Or the party actually acknowledges that it has to come back to them in some respect. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't think that the impeachment trial is going to be the forum where that fight plays out. I think it's going to be the 2022 primaries. Yeah. But, you know, how the next couple of years go with respect to whether those folks just become outliers or whether they actually become pretty important players in national political discourse, I think it's going to have a lot to say about this. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this for a little bit, this fracturing of the Republican Party. You've got, obviously, your more classic Republicans, the Never Trumpers, or then you have the whole, the other wing, (laughs) the Trump supporters, the QAnon, the conspiracy theorists. And right now, the Republican Party encompasses both. And this is a real reckoning moment. And like you or it should be anyway, to see how they navigate this. And like you mentioned this, you know, looking for an off ramp, looking for a way to figure out how to handle this issue and this impeachment trial forces it a little bit. I've seen the argument from some people like, yeah, of course, uh, we don't condone his actions. We do think that he contributed to it, but they're hung up on the fact that like, I don't know if it's constitutional, if this is legal, you know, and they're trying to force that. But We know that they have the votes to move forward and actually do the proceedings. And I am curious to see, as you mentioned, once all the evidence is, where are they going to (laughs) fall? You know, what what side are they going to choose? Um, You know, we've already established, we all know that very unlikely that he is convicted. I'm curious. The other thing that has been floated is barring him from office now. Will he have to be voted guilty completely in order for that to happen? Yes. Um, I mean, so so there I mean, there, there are three different ways that that Trump could theoretically be barred from future office. The most straightforward is this one, which is the Senate votes to convict and then it takes a second vote to disqualify him. Um, I mentioned there have been eight successful impeachment you know, convictions in American history. Um, and then three of those eight led to disqualification, led to the Senate voting to disqualify the officers. Uh, most recently, Judge Porteous in 2010. Um, there are two other possibilities. I just think that they're both far more remote. Um, the first is that there are one or two criminal statutes that actually impose as a penalty for a conviction um, disqualification from future office, including, ironically enough, the insurrection statute. Um, <laughs> right, and then uh, and then there's also Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment, um, which, at least in theory you know, disqualifies those who actually engage in insurrection from holding at least some federal offices. The problem with both of those is that they require external actors to do things they've never done before. So the criminal statutes would require the Biden administration to actually prosecute Trump. Mm. Um, And the Section 3 procedure would require Congress to do something it's never done before, which is somehow pass some kind of legislation that would implement this provision, that would execute it. You know, I... I, there are things I can imagine Senate Democrats being willing to nuke the filibuster over. Um, I'm not sure that's one of them. And so yeah. I just I'm not even sure that that gets through the Senate. So, you know, I, I think this is the most likely way to to kick Trump out formally. Um, of course, this goes back to what we were talking about. There's still the extent to which, 
you know, building a more complete record, building a record that Trump's opponents, even within the Republican Party, can use in 2024 mm-hmm. um, would be of value practically um, if he really were to try to throw his hat back in the ring in, in, in three years. Yeah. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through together or not. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Everything is so dumb, 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 dumb. So I, I, one of the things I'm curious about is how likely it is, because I, I think the most valuable part of what's happening today as we record this in Congress is the um, the fact that hopefully more information will come out that will be able to, like you said, kind of tie in whether or not like Cruz and Hawley were communicating with Trump and to what level some of these people were involved in actually instigating what happened on the 6th. Um, is it the kind of thing that we could see, you know, even if they're not willing to go after Trump, we could see prosecutions and even like, it, it, like, like mm. people have been talking about kicking Marjorie Taylor Greene out of uh, out of her seat, like is is there any actual way to do that? Is there any possibility this leads to people who like facing criminal charges for right. what, people who aren't what they've Trump, done? Yeah, yeah people yeah. who aren't Trump. I mean, maybe. Um, so I mean, I mean, let's take one of the let's take one of the more I think significant claims floating out there, right? That there were members of Congress who gave you know scouting tours um, mm-hmm. in the days leading up to January sixth, right? I yeah, mean, specifically Green. As specifically Green, um, yeah. So, so I, I mean, I do. I want to talk about Green for a second, and sure. in a second. I mean, I, but 
so so if 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 there were more concrete evidence of that, right? Of course, yes, that could be you know not just a matter of expulsion proceedings in either the House or the Senate, depending upon who the member is. It could be a matter of criminal charges, and 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 I think that would not be implausible or unprecedented. Well, I mean, the whole thing is unprecedented. Um, I have a deeper concern though about Marjorie Taylor Greene, which is that you know the Republicans. <laughs> It's like she's absorbing, right, all of the hits um, for conduct that really, that while execrable, um, execrable, um, right, um, not that radically, you know, worse than a heck of a lot of members of the Republican conference in both the House and the Senate. I mean, some of the yeah. things she said and is, on, and is on videos having said, sure, but, you know, I, I feel like she's absorbing all of the punches um, mm. that you know, Mo Brooks and Kevin McCarthy mm -hmm. and Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, like the, the energy that I thought there was for at least a few days to really, you know, hold accountable those members who could be held most directly traceable to what happened. Now it seems like, you know, oh, well, as long as, you know, um, stripping Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments. All right, we're done. Um, yeah. Right. So yeah. so I, I'm, I'm a little worried that she's actually become a distraction. Um, <laughs> yeah. Compared to folks with far more power, um, who who I think in some ways were actually much more directly involved in in facilitating what happened on January sixth, and who might even recognize that and use that as an opportunity to say, "Oh, green, no, green, we're not like her. Let's get rid of mm -hmm. her. We're the we're the good ones now, uh, even though they have so much more to do with it." Yeah, I mean, I just I, I think I think she has become a convenient, um, not patsy, but foil scapegoat. Um, yeah, scapegoat. Right, exactly. Where, you know, I mean, look how many, I mean, I am, guys, I, I, I would, I will never get over, I, there are so many things about January 6th I'll never get over. The thing I will really never get over is the votes that night, mm -hmm. right, after what happened, oh, God. when yeah. you still had, right, you know, eight different Republican senators and over 135 members of the House still voting to, you know, disqualify Biden electors from Arizona and Pennsylvania. Um and it just seems to me that, like, you know, this problem runs a heck of a lot deeper than Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And, you know, the the my concern is that people are going to feel, like, punched out if, you know, we get through the Trump trial and we get through Greene being stripped of her committee assignments. And it's like, all right, you know, that was enough. Yep. Yeah, yep. Right. We're tired of this. There's other stuff to yeah. do, which, yeah, just there are lots of things to do. But to happen. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, just, you know, I, I don't, this is, this is, this is not an, an accurate analogy, but like, <laughs> you know, the, I, I started my career studying um, international war crimes trials um, and, and sort of the, 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 um, the movement toward, you know, mm -hmm. after wars holding people criminally accountable, right? The, the, the rise of individual criminal responsibility. Um, and, and one of the remarkable things that you see in studying that field is how, hard it is to overcome the inertia of exhaustion. Um, and, you know, sort of the, yeah. like, you know, we won the war. Whew, you know, can we, can we get back to, to normal times? And how, you know, how you re it really is sort of swimming upstream um, to pursue accountability in those contexts. Um, that makes it harder, but it doesn't make it less worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there was also a debate that I found really interesting before Nuremberg about whether or not it was like about how it was a very problematic precedent to set to charge people for things that in some cases weren't crimes before mm -hmm. they like were not crimes in the nation where they committed them when they committed them that you're kind of retroactively saying yep. this thing you did is is a crime and now we're going to punish you for it. No, 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 no
I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah, exactly. I'm not yeah. Yeah. I've no, heard of that. La- yeah. No, no crime without law. Yeah. And yeah. And, and the notion that there are some things that are just so morally reprehensible that it doesn't matter if they're written down or not. Um, now, I don't think that what happened on January 6th rises no. to the level of that. I mean, we're not talking crimes against humanity and genocide here. But I do think that the political analogy is not is not implausible, right? That yeah. that the notion that you know the every you know there there's so much energy pushing in favor of like getting past it, and that's why it's so important to sort of you know for folks to actually sort of take a pause and say, well, listen, even if this is not going to work, even if we're not going to convict them, even if we're not going to get all of this stuff done, we shouldn't give in to the temptation to just you know move on. We actually should make sure that we set some kind of at least historical precedent lest this happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I might pivot now slightly to Please. something. <laughs> you you mentioned blowing up the filibuster. And uh, the filibuster in general has been a topic for a while that people debate and discuss. Uh, and I think that we should discuss it here today with you. Um, maybe, maybe start by giving us your law professor breakdown of what the pil- filibuster is, you know? I mean, I, we definitely all know what it is, but let's just make sure everybody knows. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people were surprised to learn that you don't have to like stand in the middle of Congress. Yeah. Any, it's like it's not Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Well, so, yeah, but so, I so, think so we have a different memos. idea of it because it's changed. So, so one yeah. of the, I mean, I actually think one of the best proposals with regard to the filibuster is to go back to the old school filibuster. Um, mm-hmm. So, so the filibuster um, is basically a Senate procedural rule, and it's a Senate procedural rule about something called cloture. Um, C-L-O-T-U-R-E. And the idea is that um, in the Senate, there are now lots of exceptions, but at least the default rules in the Senate, before you can move to, before you can vote on a particular action, a judicial nomination, um, a confirmation of a cabinet secretary, passing legislation, um, you first have to close debate. um, And that's cloture. And the vote to close debate um, requires 60 votes, um, right? That's the sort of the modern version of the filibuster. Um, the old school filibuster was that you couldn't close debate so long as a senator was speaking. Okay. Um, and so, you know, the Mr. Smith goes to Washington style filibuster mm-hmm. um, or you know, to, to more modernize the Stackhouse filibuster from the West Wing um, mm-hmm. is, oh, yeah. you know, is literally a senator standing on the floor of the Senate reading whatever the heck they want to just to sort of kill time, um, either to make a political point or because Time is of the essence, and they can stall out the clock. It's usually one or the other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, about, I don't, I, I should remember exactly when I don't, but like 15, 10, 15 years ago, um, you know, the Senate got rid of the sort of you have to do the whole standing and talking thing, um, which just made it so much easier for the filibuster to become this automatic obstacle to everything. Yeah. Um, I just imagined all of the senators aging up and none of them leaving office, and we're like, let's get rid of that. Because I, I kind of like too old the, for this. Yeah. the old idea of like you can if you if you're willing to stand there and right. just talk about nonsense for days, you can hold things up. That's kind of rad. It's like yeah, I except that it's be, it's, can be used against us, you know. But but I mean, guys, but I mean, we have to say the quiet part out loud, right? Yeah. Which is that um, in a world in which the Senate itself is not representative, right? The filibuster right. dramatically mm-hmm. exacerbates the unrepresentativeness yes. of the That's Senate. True. That's true. Um, and so you have this problem where even though even though both parties have wielded the filibuster against the other, um, right, the reality is that the filibuster sort of relatively allows a far smaller number of Americans on the Republican side, right, to, to, to halt legislation or appointments in their tracks 
than Americans on the Democratic side, given how many you know people are represented in the twenty smallest states in the country. Um, now it's just a Senate. It, it's just a Senate procedural rule. The Senate has the power to change its rules, um, and so we've seen the gradual demise of the filibuster for judicial appointments. Um, and Republicans like to say it's all Harry Reid's fault. That is hilarious um, uh, uh, historical revisionism. Um, they love that, though. They love that. They're very good at it. It's true. Um, so, yes, Harry Reid, in, in, in one sense, Harry Reid fired the first salvo in the sense that Harry Reid, when he was Senate Majority Leader, blew up the filibuster for circuit-level judicial confirmations. Um, but, of course, that wasn't out of nowhere. That was in response to years of Republican intransigence and filling seats um, with mm-hmm. Democratic-appointed judges on the circuit courts. But then the Republicans around say, well, of course, then we can blow up the filibuster for Gorsuch, um, which is why there's now no longer a filibuster for Supreme Court confirmations. It's why um, the last four, you know, all three of Trump's Supreme Court nominees um, are in the eight closest confirmation votes all time. Um, that wouldn't have even been possible when there was still a filibuster. Um, but it's still there for ordinary legislation. Um, and, you know, the McConnell and Cornyn and the sort of the old school Senate Republican leadership, you know, have been on this tour insisting that, like, without the filibuster, the Senate will lose its character, to which my response is, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, all it would take to blow up the filibuster is a simple majority vote, um, which requires all 50 Senate Democrats. And, you know, Senator Manchin is on record as saying he doesn't want to do it. Um, I think Senator Sinema um, has yeah. hinted that she doesn't want to do it. Um, and so, you know, we, this, the, to, to quote Hamilton, you don't have the votes. You don't have the votes not right now. Um, probably right. not yeah. at all. But probably not at all. I mean, I, I mean, I'd love to talk a little bit more about what it could mean for us if we did or what it because it's there's there's, of course, when you have the majority, uh, that's convenient. But there's a very good chance that we will not have the majority in two more years. And what that would mean for us. Not that that's necessarily the right argument to make. It's just worth acknowledging. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, like so, I, mean, of, yeah. I mean, I think okay. I, so, so I think that not having the majority in two years argument doesn't really I don't lose sleep over that because, you know, Biden will still be the president in two years. Sure. Um, but I mean, just yes. I, in general, no, no, Katie, it's, that it's, there's the yes. exchange the, so, of power. So this is so this is Cornyn's argument, which is the second the pendulum swings back, you know, the mm-hmm. Republicans can do whatever they want. And my response is. When have the Republicans not done whatever they wanted? Right, um, exactly. right. Then right. there's that, fair. and um, we, otherwise we're, we we are, yeah, and, in, in a stalemate constantly. But, 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 but it's worse than that. I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, I, just, I have the same concern that that Katie's expressed, which is like, okay, you're giving up the filibuster. That also means that like when they get back in power, they can steamroll you. But also, I can't remember a time when the Democrats stopped anything terrible yeah. that way <laughs> yeah. so I, I yeah i, I yeah i guess I was well just I, so i i would slow down on that i mean i, I actually think that there were a lot of okay. i think there's a lot i think there's a lot like the bush administration and i think some parts of what trump was trying to do like why did trump end up doing everything through you know executive branch regulations when he had a 53 or 54 you know 46 majority in the senate because mm-hmm. he didn't have 60 votes Mm-hmm. Um, right. I mean, I think that I, I, I wouldn't dismiss that. Um, and as a result of the fact that he used EOs, it's easier to kind of undo certain mm-hmm. things. That's right. Um, that makes sense. But, yeah. but guys, the, the flip side, to me, the strongest argument about the filibuster has is all about increasing the, the franchise. Right. Which is that the most the single most important thing Democrats can do now that they control both houses of Congress and the presidency 
is make it easier for people to vote. Um, And, and, you know, that has two effects, right? One, it's actually a good thing in the abstract, like more people voting good. Two, it's probably good for Democrats. Um, And so, you know, I think the, to me, this really, I, I, I don't think it makes sense to blow up the filibuster just to get through, you know, a economic relief package, um, as important as that is, um, or other legislation that is, I think, you know, sort of a one-time policy initiative, however important it may be. Um, I think it is important to talk about getting through meaningful voting rights reforms um, in a context in which, you know, we're already seeing Republican state legislatures reacting to, you know, all of the election fraud that happened um, to justify ever more suppressive measures on voting in ways that are probably going to hurt Democrats at the ballot box as early as, you know, next November. So I, I guess I just, you know, to me, it's a, it's it's sort of wholly apart from Manchin and Cinnamon, the politics of the moment. I think it ought to be a question about not just doing what's convenient right now, but what is actually going to have a long-term impact on, you know, the the shape of things in Washington. Yeah, that's a great Very point. Fair. Yeah. Do you, I mean, we don't have those votes now. Do you think that there's a, a world within the next couple of years where we might be able to uh, push for that to happen? Maybe. I mean, I, so, you know, I, I, I Lots of people are down on Chuck Schumer, um, and I understand yeah. that. Um, Hard not I, to be, yeah. I, you know, I, listen, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. Um, we, we, you know, we, we, we know. Um, <laughs> I, I think I would, just, I would just say, I mean, I think, you know, the most important relationship in Washington right now is the relationship between Schumer and Manchin. And, you know, in a world in which the Republicans, uh, to me, the question is, what's it going to what what would the Republicans have to do to push Manchin off the cliff? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And and so I, I actually think there's something to be said for, you know, carefully walking the line, sort of pushing for meaningful policy changes, forcing the Republicans to kill some of these things that Manchin might actually want. Mm-hmm. Um, right. As opposed to starting with like Supreme Court reform, which Manchin doesn't want. Um, you know, pick things that are actually important to Manchin and cinema, make those legislative priorities. And when the Republicans kill them, you know, use that as sort of saying, God, you know, look, look what we can't do because of the filibuster. Um, and indeed, I mean, I, you know, the, the irony is right. Manchin and cinema could probably go across the aisle and find eight or nine Republican senators to say, guys, help us out here. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, vote for cloture, can. vote, vote for cloture on this or else. Right. So the que- I think so there are two questions here. One is, is Schumer going to go that route where he actually tries to pick the right fights to get, you know, the most moderate members of his conference on board? And two, you know, are cinema and mansion going to use any of this as leverage to actually try to get some of the more moderate Republicans to let some of these bills go through? Right. It's kind of like a chain you have to create. Like, well, he puts pressure on them in order to get them to put pressure on other people. And That's is right. mansion even going is, is mansion even capable of putting pressure on anybody. Yeah. Yeah. This I, mean, is... I, think, I think he is. I think it's a question of whether he wants to. And that's why I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's more a question of what his legislative priorities are at this point yeah. than what Schumer's are. This is really, really insightful and, and helpful for me, I'm sure for all of us. One thing as I'm listening to, to this conversation and, and how you're breaking it down is how much of a game it is also, like a, a game of strategy between these people and, and an exchanging of priorities and favors. And it's and and this is really insightful. And I know that that's how it helps. It's just so hard sometimes when there's such a disconnect between what you're seeing around us out here, especially during a pandemic and people suffering and knowing what's at stake. Like it's a big deal. Voting rights is a big deal. 
that we have to bargain our way to being able to do a small step in the right direction is is it's hard. It's hard. I, I understand the the frustration that so many of us feel. But I also it's helpful to hear this perspective when you from our place, we're like, you know, why isn't this happening? Why isn't this happening? Well, we know why, because there's there's these inner workings that are happening. Yeah, I mean, and that's not to that's not to defend the inner workings. I mean, I you know, I think yeah, this, no, I, I mean, yeah, this is not. I, I don't think is, you are. <laughs> this, this is not the system I would have created. It's but just, just the reality of it. Well, and, and voting rights are a great example. I mean, so the Supreme Court, you know, in 2013 strikes down the preclearance formula in the Voting Rights Act in the Shelby County case, right? And it says, listen, you know, Congress, you can fix this, um, knowing full well. That so long as the filibuster is in place, it's going to be almost impossible to get meaningful voting rights reform through both chambers of Congress, right? The, the House has passed a couple of times since 2013 voting rights reform legislation that's died in the Senate. And so, you know, I think the, you know, there are lots of problems with the Senate as an institution. Um, for better or for worse, we're stuck with it. Um, and so I think the question becomes not just sort of how do we, cur- you know, how do we howl at the moon about the Senate, but how do we actually put pressure on the on the trigger mm-hmm. points, on the places mm-hmm. where it actually might move the needle? And you know, unfortunately, right now with a fifty fifty tie in the Senate, that falls on you know Joe the Manchin. well, I was going to say a Democratic senator from a state that Trump won by you know yeah. many 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 points. I mean, uh, you know the 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 the, dem- the the member of the Senate. You know the the Democratic member of the Senate who is from the reddest state, um, and you know that's that's where we are. And I think that's you know the this is part of why you know to me the most disappointing thing about the election in November was how poorly the Democrats fared in some of the closer Senate races. I mean, yes. you know, Sarah Gideon losing to Susan Collins, right? You know, I mean, Lindsey Graham somehow surviving, yeah. um, right? Mitch I McConnell, mean, I mean, he won by a lot, but. I, it, it's it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to see. And I know that there there's lots of different reasons for that. And it's very dependent on the region. But this general, I, I, you know, I, OK, we're not going to have not going to vote for Trump. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to let the Democrats have the power, you know. Uh, a mentality for a lot of voters, I think. And, and, and you know, and I think the, the question that, that, that we ought to be asking is, you know, that might have made sense on November 3rd. But now that we've seen what these Republican senators have done, yeah. um, you know, and the extent to which they've continued to indulge the big lie about the election, um, is anyone in the party going to care? Right. Is, is it actually going to yeah. be, you know, a hindrance to them? And I think the short answer is probably not um, that actually it's going to help them in their primaries if they're primaried, you know, the next time they're up. So, you know, that's why I think the it, it really is a series of interlocking gears where all it takes is for one of the gears to get stuck. And then the whole system just sort of stops moving. Um, and so, you know, blowing up the filibuster is blowing up one of those, you know, gears. Um, and and I think the it has obvious short-term benefits. I think the tricky part is that it's very hard to get a, to, to fully appreciate in advance the potential negative long-term consequences. How do you keep yourself engaging with this system in a productive way? Because that's one of the things I'm having trouble with, especially after last year. Like, I... I um, I hate politics, and I, I also hate the legal system. Um, and I, I, I do in sort of my work in, in journalism and my work covering like terrorism, I engage with it to some extent, and it's always very frustrating. And you, you noted a little earlier that this is not the system that you would have chosen to build 
Um, but you do engage with it in a very complex and a very deep and a very, I think, produ- it seems like a productive way. How do you like kind of keep <laughs> your morale going to let you yeah. engage with it in that way? I, I guess I'm curious as to like, you're, you're, you're more aware than most of us about how messed up the way this actually functions is. How do you keep, how do you keep engaging with it? <sighs> Cause the alternative is worse. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, the <laughs> I, I'm a I, I love Churchill, right? And one of my favorite Churchill quotes is, you know, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. Um, you know, the the short version is, I, I I said earlier that I'm like hopelessly optimistic. I think part of that's because just when it thinks, just when it looks like things are totally beyond salvation, something positive happens, right? So, you know. Biden won in November by by a lot. By the way, I mean lest lest <laughs> lest we forget, like that election was not close by historical standards. Yeah. Um, it is not often that a that a a, a first term president running for reelection, you know, um, gets trounced like that, um, and indeed in the process loses control of both the House and the Senate. The last time that happened was Herbert Hoover. Um, Right. Who, you know, I don't think we think of fondly when we think of, <laughs> no. of historical of, of historical examples. So I guess, you know, part of it is I, I, this, the quote is trite. You know, the arc of the moral universe, is, the, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. But I actually think it's true. Um, and I think it's just, you know, my I see my my teeny tiny cog in the machine role here as just trying to help raise the level of public conversation of, you know, sort of. Let's at least have nuanced conversations about these things, as opposed to the superficial talking points versions of these things. Um, and I try that in my classroom. I, you know, I teach at the flagship university in a red state. Um, you know, I get plenty of um, exceptionally bright conservative students in my classes, um, and I try to show them like they and I are going to disagree about almost everything. Let's at least understand what we're disagreeing about, um, as opposed to just caricaturing the other side's arguments. And I think, you know, that's not necessarily a quick way to reform things, but I do hope that generationally, right, there will be some shift toward um, not seeing everything as like us versus them and more, you know, sort of pluralism. And I just, I have to hope for that because as I said, the alternative is worse. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. 
make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great tasting all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Everything's so dumb, 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 dumb. One of the difficulties I have is that it, the us versus them thing, simplifying everything to the point of inaccuracy, um, at this point in time, seems to objectively work better. Um, it, 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 not in terms of the outcome for society, which is disastrous, but in terms of the outcome for the individuals who are making it us versus them, right? Like, even if they don't maintain political power, they make money and build bases of support. And, um, I guess, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm coming from this at this from more of a pessimist standpoint, because when I think of that phrase, like the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice, my first question is who's justice, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the answer is, you know, that's 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 what happens when we live in a pluralistic society, right? Mm-hmm. We, you know, that's that's gonna change. Um, but I will just say, I mean, I am like 2020 was miserable. Yeah, it um, sucked <laughs> in in every possible. But but it was miserable in so many different ways. I mean, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the George Floyd protests, right, were horrifying, right? The I mean, not the protests, but like the. You know, yeah, the, the reason for them, the, the reason for, for them, the and provocation, the response, the response yeah. right? Like, to it, and a lot yeah. of the responses to it, right? Um, I actually, you know, I have this potentially naive view that we're going to look back five, six, seven years from now and see that 2020 actually galvanized into caring about politics. Um, you know, a larger chunk of the American population than, than had been previously engaged, and that much like the sort of mid to late 1960s. Right, yeah. where, that, where that kind yeah. of galvanizing effect had dramatic long-term effects on policy. Yeah, um, you know that's going to take some time, guys, to yeah. show. Right, yeah. and and I but, do completely yeah. agree with that, I, and, yeah. and 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 with you, Robert, because I understand what you're saying, and I agree with that. And it's a, a fear, and it's what we see. But in the moment, and in the right now, in this present, um, I know that I am seeing. More people engaged, more people standing up, more people paying attention. Um, and I know that, you know, the civil rights movement wasn't a, a flash in a pan. It took a, it took time, just as you were saying, Steve. It's still taking time. Yeah. It's still taking time. Um, and I'm horrified by the last year and grateful that I get to be a part of it, you know, get to be a part of the next steps. Um, and it kind of reminds me, basically, what your answer to Robert's question about how do you stay optimistic is is you're focusing on the thing that you can tangibly do, which is educate to, to foster mm-hmm. conversations, to push back, to you know, but create a space where people can can have these kinds of conversations safely. And that's all. It's what anybody can do right now is like focus yeah. on the things that you can control and show that things are are you know. Uh, capable to change even in this gummy uh, geared up system because you'd worked on um, Hamden v. Rumsfeld. Is that right? 
Yeah, which I was on, yeah. uh, made uh, it clear that the commissions in Guantanamo Bay were unconstitutional. Those yeah. things can happen. That's uh, what you were talking about. Your sort of studying of how to hold war criminals accountable, um, even after years. Although I would say we sort of forgot a little bit about um, well, <laughs> W. Bush uh, and what and what he has done. Um, do and if you, we're uh, fair about Nuremberg, we didn't do a great job then either. <laughs> didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not we're not perfect at it, um, but mm-hmm. attempts are made. I am incredibly privileged. I mean, I'm privileged in like 47 different ways, right? I am, you know, a um, a a white um, tenured um, male, you know, straight law professor. Um, in a job that I basically can't get fired from. And so it's easy for me to sit on my, to sit up in my ivory tower and say some of these things. Um, but I do think that like the, you know, the, the extent to which people now see it as actually part of their responsibility to be active yeah. um, and to be participants in our polity and to not just be apathetic. Um, you know, gone are the days of there's no difference between Al Gore and Ralph Nader. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, For the most part, yeah. Or sorry, I'm sorry. The, there's no difference between Al Gore and George Bush, right? The the yeah. Nader the Nader line that like you know Gore and Bush you know are the same are the same thing. Like I mean that was ridiculous in 2000, but it actually had traction. Um, and I think you know we're at, we're at a point for better force. That's not true anymore. So I guess you know I just I just hope that we are sowing the seeds that we are providing foundation for yeah. folks who are smarter than us and younger than us. Um, right to come along and say we've been doing this wrong, you know. Let's do this better. Um, and you know that's why, again, just to, to bring this full circle, why I think the impeachment trial is so important, no matter what the final vote is, because yeah. you know Trump's conduct in general, but especially between November third and January sixth, is going to go into the annals as so far beneath the worst conduct by a sitting president in American history. And, you know, the sooner that we are all clear on that and why that happened and how that happened and who helped to make that happen, you know, I think the the sooner we can figure out how we yeah. got there and how how we got to Trump in the first place. Yeah, yeah there's um, you were talking a little earlier about kind of the the, the late 60s and um, about the hope that this what we've seen recently is kind of a turning point that 2020 will be a turning point. And I, I think I think a lot almost every day to that that Hunter Thompson quote about standing on a hill outside of San Francisco and you could see the high water line right where that 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 wave of cultural revolution broke and 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 pulled back and he was talking about like all of the hope of the 60s the optimism that there would be fundamental change the anti-war movement the civil rights movement all this feeling that like things were really going to change and then they they didn't quite they did in some ways but not to the extent that they needed to not to the extent people thought they would yep and i I guess my hope is that when we look back 10 to 15 years on 2020, it's a similar kind of, it's, it's kind of the opposite where it was a wave of, of shit that broke and rolled back. And we're in the, we're in, we saw the high watermark of the shit and now it's hopefully starting to, I don't know, recede. And we're Uh, hosing it down. Yeah. We're hosing it down. (laughs) And we're, and we're a whole lot of people whose lives had never previously depended upon having a function in government. Um, right, were, were punched in the face over and over again by what it meant to not have a government that could effectively handle a pandemic. Um, you know, there are folks for whom that's always been a problem, but who for whom those problems have been obscured from elitist, you know, sort of spaces. And I think, you know, COVID had this remarkable flattening effect um, in, in driving home 
why actually having a competent, efficient government is a good thing. That hasn't yet become an electoral issue, um, right? But I think just I, it is too soon, right, to think that we've learned all the lessons of 2020. Yeah. I just want to make sure we don't give up on trying to tell the story before we move on. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a really awesome point and a great place to wrap this up. I know you've got other things to do today, but we are so grateful that you took the time to chat with us. This has been really, really informative. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online or check out your work? Uh, for better or for worse, I'm on Twitter at Steve underscore yeah. Vladek. Um, and I also, against my better judgment, have two podcasts. So uh, Bobby <laughs> Chesney and I... Horrible idea. It really is. Um, so Bobby Chesney and I co-host a podcast uh, called the National Security Law Podcast, which shockingly is about national security law um, and some other stuff. Um, and my wife, Karen, and I, Karen, who is by far the, the better half... Um, we have a, a newish podcast called In Loco Parents about some of the unique challenges of parenting and lawyering at the same time. Um, Interesting. Fr- from the perspective, not because we are experts at either of them, but because <laughs> I actually think that um, there's some important utility in finding out that actually all of us who are parents of young children suck in different but equal ways. I love that. Um, and that it's, you know, it's not us, it's parenting. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, you guys should definitely check that out. I'm not a parent, but it sounds interesting. I'll check it out as well. Um, maybe someday I'll be a parent and that'll be helpful for me. Uh, but thank you again so much for joining oh. us. Um, and anytime you want to come back, we, we'd love to have you. Sorry, Robert Thanks. has a question. Yeah, I'm just wondering if you had any sort of like we plug a lot of bail funds on the show. If there's okay. any kind of like related to the legal causes you find valuable, any kind of like fundraiser or charity that you would you would like to highlight for our listeners too. Um, I mean, I you know, at the moment I'm very focused on Texas specific issues on that front. So sure. there's there, there's a great group in San Antonio called Casa Marianea um, that does work with you know with with at risk groups and with you know sort of finding housing and things like that. Um, the Texas Civil Rights Project. Um, is actually a really, really excellent group for, you know, this kind of progressive work on the ground, grassroots level in Texas. It's an uphill battle. Um, but, you know, don't just take my word. I mean, you know, do your own research. Find find people who could use the support. And even if the support is volunteering, phone banking, I mean, mm-hmm. there are lots of ways to contribute to to what's going on right now. Yeah. Great. All right. All right. Thanks, man. And that does it for us today at Worst mm-hmm. Year Pod. You can check us out online at Worst Year Pod. Gentlemen. Worst Year Pod. Mm-hmm. Get a cat. Worst Year. Get a cat. Get a cat. Pod. I just. Is this advice? It, yeah, it is. This is a new general. catchphrase. Get a my, cat. My, my cat is is not uh, with me at the moment, and I miss having a cat. Oh, get a cat. Every, everybody yeah. should get have a cat. A cat. Everyone should my have conclusion. a cat. Go get a, so, get a fucking cat. What are you doing without having a cat? If you Asshole. can't get a cat, get a Tamagotchi. Or a Tamagotchi, but ideally a cat. I'm sending Robert a Tamagotchi today. Transition to a cat I'm going to send him some slap economy. bracelets. Yeah. A friendship lanyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cat. All right. This Where's is a your fitting, pod? fitting end to the episode. <laughs> See you guys it. next week. Worst Year Ever is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. 
Heck yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl, go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, thinking about gas mileage. You know, changing your oil with a full synthetic oil like Castrol Edge can help your engine get more miles. Right now, you can get five quarts with an STP Extended Life oil filter for only $36.99. Get started on your next job today with the parts you need when you need them at AutoZone or AutoZone.com. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count.